Hey, City State fans, just a heads up. The sound quality on this episode isn't quite what you're used to. Being on the road with our guests was exciting, but also technically challenging. So hang in there and hope you enjoy it. Here, the guys never have a lack of power or motivation. So it's just harnessing all that energy and putting it in the right way, you know? So I wanna make sure the guys are, they don't have to be the fastest. We want them to be the fastest, but I want them to be the most passionate and the most intelligent and just students of the sport and get really appreciate it and learn on and off the water. Hello, and welcome to Steady State Podcast, your rowing fix where the water's flat, the catches are clean, and you can always hear the coxswain. We're revealing a narrative about rowing culture that celebrates the expansive array of rowers, coaches, and coxswains in a podcast designed to savor real life experience from launch to coxie at every level. From Fairmount Park rowing camp as a teenager, to captain of his crew at La Salle, to coach at BLJ Community Rowing, you can definitely call Marcus Brown a Philly guy through and through. But the chance to coach for the prestigious University of Washington Huskies recently took Marcus out to Seattle, where he's digging into the details to help his motivated crews move boats even faster. Thanks to our patrons and Concept2 for helping make this episode possible. We're Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan, and this is Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. I'm Marcus Brown. Uh, currently assistant coach at University of Washington on the men's side. We're in Conover Shellhouse on the University of Washington's campus in Seattle, Washington. So one of the first things we like to do is we like to figure out how you relate to our listeners. So we do this thing called rapid fire. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Sweep or skull? Skulling. Port or starboard? Port. Bow seat, stroke seat, or engine room? I guess stroke. Sprint race or head race? Sprint for sure. Uni or tank and trow? Uh, uni. Like down most times, yeah. <laughs> um, shoes or barefoot on the erg? Barefoot. Calories, watts, or splits on the monitor? That's funny because I, I probably would do calories now, you know, but splits I've lived off of. Yeah. So I'll go splits. What, what made you shift to looking at calories now? Well, I think... I'm looking at the erg a lot differently now. I think before it was like the holy grail of working out and I'll use it so much, it's not as effective as it used to be. And it almost, you know, sometimes is like a detriment to what I'm trying to do out in the water. So uh, the splits can sometimes be distracting. Yes, agreed, agreed. They, they can, can really distracting. Yeah, especially <laughs> as they get slower. <laughs> as you get older. Okay. Uh, Favorite Cox command to receive? Ooh, uh, it's been a while since I've been coxed, but I'm always about like accurate blades when I'm coaching. So I would say like sharp, sharp uh, entry or something. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not really like about like power. Cause you assume all the power is being put on all the, you know anyway. Mm-hmm. So right. yeah. What do you think is the best place to row? It depends. So, Philly and Seattle are, you know, really cool rowing places, but very contrasting. So in Philly, it's not a lot of water, but it's a lot, a lot of programs there. So you get the advantage of having all the energy of other boats and other programs, 
with the disadvantage of having a very cluttered space. And then out here is like place first. So you got all the water, fresh water that you can uh, ask for, but it's not a lot of crews, not a lot of, like you don't see the people you're competing against until you need to compete against them. So uh, it depends, you know. I miss Rhone and Philly now, yeah. just because I've been out here for the last, you know, eight months or so. I think a lot of people have real affinities for their home water when we when we talk to them about favorite places to row. You know, you grew up there, you grew up on it, a lot of people have a lot of years on a certain place and you just get to love it for whatever the reasons are. Yeah. Know? Can you describe the perfect stroke? Mm. For sure. Uh, and I you know, probably look at this probably too much. I think the perfect stroke uh, it's kind of like we were talking about the erg. The erg really rewards like a lot of hard effort, and that's what a lot of coaches look for. But on the water, if you're doing it correctly, the faster you go, the lighter and the easier it looks. So perfect stroke to me looks like a nice body pivot from or a nice hip pivot from from the um, finish. Um, very controlled and a little bit of a draw. Uh, I like to think about slowly releasing my hips, so you get a little bit of tranquility, a little bit of float and then the blades are already in before you have full compression. And then when you pick it up, it shouldn't look like anything exciting. You know, the catch should just look seamless. Uh, so not a lot of movement in the upper body. The hips pick it up really quickly. And then just enough to accelerate it through with a very smooth finish to release it. So it's very quiet because you're not moving the water at all. You're moving the boat past that point of entry. Uh, and it's very quiet, you know, metaphorically with the upper body as well. You shouldn't really see a lot going on. Um, then I guess with breathing, you're just pushing that boat out. So I usually look for a nice um, exhale on the drive for power and then empty lungs at the finish. And then I kind of reset and I like to do a nice exhale on the recovery, more like a yoga breath just to relax everything. Mm. So, like, yeah. a like a pranayama. Yes, yeah. Pranayama I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. just awesome. relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you talked about the breathing. I have a lot, I have this discussion a lot with new rowers they just can't quite figure out where to breathe. We talk about the exhale at the finish and how that exhale helps you, I think, settle into your seat and connect your bum to the seat. And then I think the challenge for some rowers is figuring out the breath between the finish and the catch mm -hmm. and instructing that and guiding them through that is, I find to be a bit challenging, but also it's very individual. They need to figure out how to make it happen, what's their rhythm right. of, their, of their breathing. I switched to exhaling into the catch. Mm -hmm. I always thought if I exhaled into the catch, I would collapse. Mm -hmm. And it actually made me more relaxed and powerful. It lowered my energy down. Mm -hmm. And it gives, yeah, it gives you room. Yeah, it gives you room into that compression. That's yeah, exactly sure. what yeah. is the science behind it. Yeah, for sure. So one last question, the mm -hmm. most important question. Mm -hmm. Coffee before or after a row? So, I would do it before, like only like a test or a race, but like typically I won't drink it at all. Yeah. I don't yeah. know, just like reserve, I try to reserve my like caffeine sensors or whatever. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I was gonna drink it today because I was just, they just, uh, this morning was really difficult, but yeah, I just try to use my like natural, whatever. Your natural energy. Yeah. Natural energy on natural yeah. high. Yeah, I like that. We're not actually coffee drinkers, but we know so many people who are, people who like swear they by it to get their morning started. live and die started. by it, yeah. yeah. It's funny, we get a lot of different responses to that question now. Some people are like, no, never. And some people are like, only <laughs> after. Some people are like, all the time. <laughs> Tapping into the veins. <laughs> yeah.
So yeah. on a scale of zero to ten, how is your rowing week going? My rowing week, if we're considering my actual rowing, it's probably a three or so. I think I hopped on the herb like once. I didn't get out. I didn't get out in the water. Uh, for the guys, I think the guys they're probably at eight. At eight. They just came, we just came back from Pac-12s last weekend. But we did okay, we didn't win, and that's usually the goal. Yeah. And then this week, we're deciding the IRA boats, so that's really exciting. There's a lot of racing pieces. There's a lot of stress and tense um, tension, but for me it's awesome because you see a lot of different things, especially when the guys race, and you can see them when the pressure is on. So for me as a coach, I feel like I grow here like every week. So rowing personally, like one and a half. Uh, coaching, I would say like an eight. It's yeah. been pretty good. Yeah, and you coach freshmen? I coach the, I've been working with the four. Uh, so I really do like development and how the program works. We bring in some pretty um, pretty good freshmen and then we'll mix in like walk-ons and recruited walk-ons. So if they aren't selected for IRA boat, and this, these are our top three boats in the four. Sometimes they'll work in the singles or pairs, and that's what I usually do. I work with those guys. Uh, and it seems like lately I've been more with the four. So just, I'm all about development, you know. Um, I'll rarely say you need more power. So it's just like, power is kind of implied. Mm -hmm. You should have it. The water needs the power to respond and just making the bodies more efficient, so. Yeah, we were, I was curious about the walk-ons because this is not an easy program. It's a top program in the country, and being a walk-on onto the University of Washington team would be a grind, you know. Yeah. And so now they're at the end of their first year, you know, if they were a freshman uh, or if they just came on last year. It's uh, it's we want to know your rowing origin story and what really got you hooked on rowing, and then how that relates to you working with people who've never been on the water before who are now ex excelling in the program. Yeah. So. Can you take us back to, you know, like junior high school Marcus? Okay. What's <laughs> going on with you in your life when rowing comes onto the scene? So I started rowing my, the summer of going into freshman year in high school. And my grandma signed me up for a rowing camp. And the rowing camp was um, on Boathouse Row at Lloyd Hall and it was called Fairmont Park Rowing Camp. And I think it was a two week session and I was able to stay there because I became, I, I enjoyed it and I worked hard and uh, still was really good friends with the director to this day, Anne-Marie. Uh, sophomore year, I didn't do anything. Junior year, I might've joined the camp again. And then senior year, I'd, I think I went down just to visit and I wasn't sure like I could row anywhere else. I thought it was just something you did during the summer. I didn't know schools had this, uh, rowing programs at all. So my senior year, Anne Maria was like, oh, Marcus, you, you can row, or this is going to senior year. She's like, oh, you can row at uh, Bachelor's Barge Club. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, you know? And then I actually saw some of the friends that I met at the camp. So they were doing this camp, or they were doing this program. I didn't know about it. And by the time I joined junior or, or my senior year, I just had to like, pretty much relearn everything and re like actually learn how to work. And I'm like, oh, this is like a real sport. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed that. And then spring season came and I rode in a single because I was the only one from my high school. And scholastically you have to row through your high school and not in a club. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit different from the fall. 
And actually today, uh, it's Stotesbury Regatta in Philly. And I guess it's the same exact day it was 10 years ago because Facebook gave me a reminder and it mm. showed me in the single racing at this race. So oh, that was wow. just, yeah, that was just earlier today. So yeah, I started, started in the single. So what was it about rowing that uh, hooked you? Yeah, great question. I think I remember the first time going out in the eight and it, and I think I was sitting somewhere in the middle because I didn't know what I was doing in the bow pair. They had gone to the camp years before, knew how to row already. And I remember them taking us out of Boathouse Row. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, how are these two people really moving us right now? So I remember that first sensation just gliding on the water. And what really hooked me to it, I guess I have um, a little bit of, um, I really like uh, being in pain, you know, and like endurance sports. <laughs> so I did a little bit of cross country before and I was okay but I wasn't great at it and then rowing seemed like everything together so we did like body weight exercises at the Fairmont Park rowing camp we did like relays so it was really competitive we ran as well so I was like oh rowing is like everything this is really really cool and then it was the fact that it was like very unique so you met different people which I really liked and then I went to a boarding school not far from the Bowhouse Row but it got me off campus as well and to do something different so that was nice. Yeah, I like thinking, I did not row in high school. If you noticed, I'm not terribly tall. I didn't even think about rowing until I was a little bit older. But um, the thing about rowing, when I pair that with scholastic athletes, is this notion of freedom and walking away from basically everybody else who's in charge, right? And saying, I've got this opportunity to get out on the water and it, like, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge, I'm away from everybody else who's controlling my day. Right. So there must have been a little bit of that for you as well, right? Getting off campus and yeah. Yeah, the freedom. And then then I found it was like pretty unique and, and it was nice to meet people that like everybody in Philly knows Boathouse Row. And I think when I was younger or we driving on I-76 and I look and everybody thinks it's like this row of huge mansions that like rich people own. Cause mm -hmm. you only can see the outline of it you don't really pay attention to the water that's down there. So you're like, oh my God. And I remember that, I was like, oh my God, this street, that rich street, and as I grow older, I'm like, oh, what? Like, that looks different. Like, I thought it was land there, there's water there. <laughs> and then I remember walking into my first boathouse, I'm like, oh, so it was like a full, it was like a full circle. And the, the fact that people all around the city have had that experience, but have never gotten the opportunity to be included or like invited into the boathouses, like I, I don't take for granted, so um, yeah. yeah, it's one of the reasons I really like it. It's such a unique spot, you know. I think people also think of Seattle when they think of very vibrant and dense rowing communities. I mean, there's 25 boat clubs oh, wow. right here on Lake Union, Lake Washington, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. 25. Yeah, I, I'm gonna skip ahead just for a second because we're we are really interested in this idea of you know coming from Philly, where there's long history and tradition making the leap all across the country to Washington where there's history and tradition. And can you talk to us a little bit about that parallel and what you've found here at UW in terms of history and tradition? It's honestly pretty hard to find any parallels off the top of my head. Hmm. I think what's cool, you know, it's obviously rowing in both, uh, but I thought Philly really had like water like ingrained in the city. Uh, the origin of Philly was 
set in between two um, rivers, the Schuylkill River and the Delaware River. And like now it's expanded that the Schuylkill River kind of cuts in the middle and then come out here to Seattle, which is very mysterious, you know, the Pacific Northwest. And I see, I was like, oh, this is really, really a city built on water. Um, so I think that's the most parallel I've found. Uh, another foodie city too. Like it's great, amazing food out here. Mm -hmm. um, Philly's really good food as well. And then as far as the rowing goes, it's a lot different. It's just, I think I mentioned earlier, like the energy is different. So in here you have a lot of water and you have a lot of like space and respect for each other. Um, as far as like almost like proximity of the two shells and Philly, like everything feels like a close call. It feels more like a, like a almost gridlock traffic, you know? So the buoy line in Philly, you use like the course in Philly, you have to row on. Everybody has to row on to get up and around the river. Uh, and then if you're rowing in a single or a smaller boat and you can see a college team stack up, like they start, they'll start at the 1K sometimes. You'll see them line up and you're like, oh, I guess I'm just getting out the way. And then here in UW, you know, we have this buoy line almost in our backyard. And it's like, oh, we're using the buoy line today. So get off the course, you know, so this is a lot different. It's, um, and then the thing is like, I feel um, 25 programs out here is pretty surprising. It doesn't seem like that. Maybe just how, how spaced out everything is. But in Philly, you can probably see 25 programs all out on a Sunday morning. That was me. Um, all out on the Sunday morning. Um, and uh, it's crazy because everyone's going to be doing the same thing. Like Saturday morning, everyone's doing 500 pieces. Everyone wants the buoy course. Uh, so it's a lot more programs, but out here, I think people respect rowing a whole lot more, you know? So the Windermere Cup is an example of that. Boys in the Boat is an example of that. And then you go around the city, you're like, oh, you know, like I work for UW and work with the rowing program. And they're like, wow, that's awesome. The guys are good, right? <laughs> that you'll rarely get that in Philly. Hmm. Well, yeah. That's interesting. I mean, my, you know, kind of as an outsider perspective, I, I thought maybe it was a little more ingrained in Philly culture. I think being here at the DOM program, like, this is a high-level program, but it's been around for a long time, and it's being preserved in Boys in the Boat, right? Like, people talk about that all the time, and, like, I know there's, like, husky tradition. There's a lot of tradition. There's a lot of legacy at this club, and um, one of the questions that we're curious about with you, with your coaching, is what's your legacy going to be? Like, what do you want to leave as your legacy here at the university? Yeah, that's, you know a, yet? Yeah, that's a beautiful question, and I didn't know it maybe like a couple of weeks ago but um for my time here uh university of washington i definitely want to make sure the guys are working hard in smart ways as well so i'm always guilty of like doing too much technique and even when i train after college the guys are like oh you know it's like too smooth it's too pretty um but it was just because like that was the goal. The goal was to make it look very effortless and to be very efficient on the water. Uh, I mean, in here, the guys never have a lack of power or motivation. So it's just harnessing all that energy and putting it in the right way, you know. So I want to make sure the guys are, they don't have to be the fastest. We want them to be the fastest, but I want them to be the most passionate and the most intelligent and just students of the sport and really appreciate it and learn on and off the water. Um, and that can be anything from how to eat better, how to stretch better, how to warm up better, how to race better. So just making smarter athletes um, 
which I hope you know will make better coaches as well in the future. If you're a fan of podcasts, Concept2 has a workout podcast for you. The free podcast, As the Flywheel Spins, offers you a variety of workouts with coaching from Concept2's in-house coach, Katie Hart. She'll lead you through each workout with tips and technique, pacing, and workout structure. There are nearly 100 workouts to choose from. Find Concept2's As the Flywheel Spins wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode. We took a trip to the George Pocock Rowing Center in Seattle to talk with Zoe Bates, the organization's middle school program specialist. She's also a coach for GPRS Camp Lucy, a free learn to row camp for girls, inclusive of non-binary, trans, and gender non-conforming youth. From UW walk-on to leaving a mark on Seattle rowing, Zoe offers a thoughtful look at slowly falling in love with the sport and the important role coaches play in young rowers' lives. And while you're there, would you leave us a review? When you do, it helps our podcast get noticed and reach more ears. Into, we're back with Marcus Brown. That's one, two. I like that. I like yeah. that thinking about this coaching pipeline, which is something that we talk about a lot. Um, figuring out that you might row for another 10 years and then what happens next you know and can we develop good rowers who turn turn into good coaches um because there's so many coaches that really don't know what they're doing (laughs) um at a lot of different levels um and so I, i hope that you're successful with that and that you turn out some some rowers who get excited about being solid coaches someday yeah. yeah, yeah. So, how did this happen? How did you get out here to yeah. University of Washington? This is a long way from home. Yeah, uh, just under three thousand miles, and I know it because I drove it, <laughs> and I know it because I got to drive it again to get back to IRE. So, uh, that's on Sunday. <laughs> so, how did I get out here? So, I worked. I went to LaSalle University, and then I worked one year at BlackRock. Uh, it's a pretty big asset management company, and so it was the corporate life. And I rode a little bit beforehand, so I was work. It was nice. It was like waking up really early, commute to Wilmington, row, work, come back. Sometimes row again, um, and that was my life for like just under a year. Then my coach at LaSalle, uh, who was my head coach for uh, my sophomore and senior year, so three years, he's like, "Oh, you know, are you enjoying that job?" And I kind of knew what the question was going to because I would go and work out with them on Saturdays, so. Um, I would always be in like erg room if they were having to work on the erg room. So he was like, "Oh, you're like enjoying the job," and I kind of knew what he was getting at. He was like, uh, "Well, would you like to be an assistant coach here?" And I was like, "Oh, of course." So I worked there that year, and our grad assistant was a guy from Roman Catholic, which is another school in Philly, who ex- uh, who was a pen lightweight. Uh, so his name was Matt Weaver, and we became really, really close for the same year, and we had like the same thinking. Like we want to teach the guys how to row, you know. Because that was my problem in college. Very athletic, very passionate. I just didn't know how to move the boat. And I never wanted anyone to go through that again. So we had to teach the guys, like, how to row. And then those guys as well, like, how to work, you know. Again, we don't have the problem out here. Um, But we had to teach them how to work and how to row. And he got the job out here. So this is his third year here at um, University of Washington. And he was telling me, he was like, oh, you know, a job is opening up. 
and I was in Philly at this time, and I was like, no, I'm good. You know, like I was really, really enjoying my life in Philly. I was the caretaker for um, the Grace Kelly house that just got restored. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I just, I wasn't sure if I wanted to row or not anymore. So I was like, just kind of like living my life leisurely, coaching um, and then caretaking. And it, just, it was just like this nice freedom. And it almost felt too comfy, though. You know, it was nice to feel that because I've been training for a while. But it was like almost too comfy. And I got a little bit too comfortable. And I ate the same. So I gained like 20 pounds uh -huh. after I stopped training. And... I talked to one of my mentors and he was like, oh, well, Marcus, like, you should at least consider it. Like, even if you don't get the job, worst case scenario, you spruce up your resume. Mm -hmm. And if you get an interview, you see how beautiful the campus is and how different it is. So and he was like, if you don't get the job, I want you to at least fly out there and check with the um, check out the school and check out Conabare. So I was like, OK. So fortunately enough, I did get the job, obviously. But when I came out here, I see these. It's this beautiful, like, behemoth of a boathouse with all this water and just different, you know, like in Philly, it's a little bit different because we have this protected, so there's no pleasure boats, no commercial boats, you can just row, row, row. And here you get pleasure boats, yachts, barges, seaplanes, hot tub boats. So it was like a lot more, it was like a lot more like traffic, but not rowing traffic. Yeah. And I see how beautiful the boathouse is, and I see all the crazy detail that my head coach, Coach Callahan, puts into these boats. I'm like, okay, all right. Like, yeah. maybe being in Philly isn't that cool anymore. <laughs> well, to seeing, the, seeing a new opportunity. I mean, there's something, a, a long time ago, I just told myself, like, say yes to opportunities. You don't know what it might lead to. And you can always, you know, a year later say, you know what, this isn't working for me or it's not what I want with my life. But um, I think it's exciting for you to step out of some place that you've known and where you're comfortable and say, oh, but there's something else over here and what can I learn? So actually that leads me, I was curious in the time that you've been here, is there something big that you've learned? Here? Yeah. Oh, uh... Well, uh, I feel like it's crazy because I thought I knew a lot about rowing. Mm -hmm. And then the first three months here, they're talking in this room where we're at now, the coaches. And it's like they're talking in another language because it's very specific to University of Washington. So I don't think I was even helpful until maybe like December or January, wow. you know, to actually just say like, oh, like this makes sense if we do it this way. I learned out here that um, success is a very elusive thing and i just heard this quote a couple of days ago but it kind of sums up being here where we have a lot of legacy and a lot of wins and a lot of like olympians produced from this program mm -hmm. but if we keep the same methods that worked maybe even five years ago and we're hoping that they work as well the same way then we're fools you know so i've learned that you like you need to always grow and never like really be comfortable you know, and it sometimes that's, has a b bad connotation about it, but you just want to always be pushing a little bit, pushing a little bit, pushing a little bit. Uh, and I guess like all the little things I've learned, I can go on for a while because it seems like every week my mind is just blown mm. by the things I learn, either come from like the coaches or being out on like a buoy line like we were today or talking to ex-Huskies that come in or even just the like the international guys we bring in. It's like nice having them there. You get a piece of every country's coaching. 
and every country's rowing style. So like, the learning never ends. Yeah. So that I had a question about that because there's there's sort of this lore of there being a University of Washington style of mm-hmm. rowing, and it's been around for years and years and years and years. And I know the club that I rowed for when I lived in Seattle, we rowed University of Washington style, mostly because uh, Eleanor McIlvain was our head coach and she was a coach here for 25 years, I think. Yeah. Um, so she brought the style with her to the Conner Rowing Club where I rowed down, down south. And do you think there is a University of Washington style of rowing? Like the body, body angles and the, you know, the way that they place the blade and timing and not without giving way too much information oh yeah yeah i mean i don't think it's too many like secrets to rowing which i like it's like very objective it's like no magic no snake oil about it it's just physics and i found here what i really like so talking to my friend matt when he was here before i came here i was like oh is there like any type of style you guys have and he was like well no he's like if if a stern pair is from the uh from australia I guess we're going the Aussie way this year or um, if you know we got a bunch of Brits in the boat I guess we're adopting the British style so mm-hmm. that's what I like about it you know like the only constant is change with the boat and have to kind of be adaptable and I sometimes I get a little bit too philosophical but you almost need to be as adaptable and persistent as water you know like you can move anywhere but you're also very strong and like consistency is what is your power um, so yeah, I'm not even sure what, what style uh, and how to define it. I know when it works, and I saw videos of the crew that, that won last year, it just looks effortless, you know, like everything I mentioned earlier, it seemed like they had um, just like beautiful effortless rowing that almost you're not like trying and it's coming to you. Yeah. What's it like riding in the launch boat and seeing like the 1V boat row? Like have you gotten to ride in the launch and watch them in full form, full action? yeah pieces yeah so the first time i came out here the top 18 guys got invited a little bit sooner and i went out on the launch with callahan i'm looking at them and i was like oh my god they're like they wrote really well you know and mm-hmm. as you and it's all perspective too you know so the first time i went out there i'm like wow they wrote really well i see it every day and i think my eye has gotten sharper and i become better at just looking at better rowing and kind of slowing it down even though they're going really fast and i'm like oh we need to row a lot better now. So it, it was like a perspective change, but it's always, I tell people the worst thing to do is only see this program because it's so, so, so good. You don't have any perspective on the rest of the programs. Like the speeds that they achieve here, the, like the, the resources that they have, the talent that they have, it's like hard to, I mean, it's unmatched and I can appreciate it because I've come from very like low budgeted programs and I've seen like a lot of different crews, but just being out here like it, it kind of messes up your uh, benchmark for what a rowing program should be. So I remember I saw you for the first time last year at U.S. Rowing Masters Nationals, and mm-hmm. Tara and I were there. We had a tent set up. We were kind of doing a couple things. Um, t- three things really Tara with CZ or me with row source and steady state network we were wearing all the hats that weekend and one thing that was exciting for us and for a lot of people was to see you Napoleon Maurice and Brooke head out in the very first 
all-black men's squad at Masters Nationals. I know that we got kind of chills seeing that because it's a big deal. How did you feel about shoving off the dock that day for the race? Yeah, I think um, it was good to have each personality in it because I'm almost like too cool. Like I almost like am too nonchalant that I don't know what's going on, but I think that's my power too. Like it's very insular vision. But when I do care about things, it's like really, really cool. So I think just thinking like that moment, it was really big. I didn't know the history. I trusted that what they were telling me was right. I was like, oh, we got like a race piece that we need to execute. So that was like my my thinking into it. And that's why it's nice to have this, like this nice blend of people, you know, like Napoleon knew all about it. And, um, you know, almost like he orchestrated a lot of it. And for him, it was awesome just all the parts to come together. I Me, mean, I'm just thinking like, yo, I, I need to keep this boat up at rate and I need us to get out really, really quickly. And I need not to be distracted by all the things that it could be, because that's the worst thing to happen. You start fantasizing about the future and what achievements and even things like this, which is awesome, but you start to fantasize about being appreciated and then you forget to actually execute in the moment. So um, yeah, very just present, I was trying to be very present, very just, I don't know, I guess cold-blooded almost, not cold-blooded, but very just calm in the moment um, because uh, you need your stroke seat, which I haven't sat in a while, but you need your stroke seat to be unwavering and very disciplined uh, and not to be so emotional. Mm-hmm. My favorite stroke seat uh, teammate of mine, so I row and Cox. Um, and when I get the chance to cox, my favorite stroke seat teammate is this guy who just has straight poker face like the entire time. Mm-hmm. No matter what Head we're down. doing, like, yeah. And he's busting his butt through an entire piece, through an entire race, and it's only after that last stroke that he lets his guard down. And I'm like, oh, dude, you are working hard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I used to have a stroke who was very stone faced like that, yeah. very reliable, very steady. Like you never doubted what that person was gonna do, yeah. and then she would barf at the end of every race. We're like, yeah. yes, it's a good race. It's a good race. That's funny. Yeah, so we've had all three of the other guys on the on the podcast so far, so we wanted to round it out and have you on, oh, for sure. Yeah. That was a great event. And how did the race go for you? So I think the first race, I can't remember. I think. Yeah, that's the one who was a qualifier into the finals. Mm-hmm. And we didn't do too hot on that one. I think it was just getting adjusted to how fast a quad can move and how fast like you need to move. And like the faster the boat goes, the less you can accelerate it. So like a 1K race, you almost just need to be out on the first 250 and just hold it for as long as you can, mm-hmm. you know, because it shouldn't be a lot of move- movement with a fo- fast boat class and a very short piece. So we felt short of that. And then I know we had the quad as well on a different event. Seeing the same people was just pretty cool later that week. And uh, yeah, we just had a better game plan. I think we brought up the rate a little bit higher. We got off the start a little bit more. I think we all had more racing under our belts too by the end, you know, by the end of the week. So uh, that went a lot better. And then it was still like that. We could have went faster, made a move a little bit sooner. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was really, really fun. When we talked to Maurice, um, something he said really kind of 
you know, I, it was an eyebrow raiser for me because I, I learned to row as a master. So I've only rowed one Ks. Mm-hmm. And I think he said that Masters Nationals was his first time racing a one K. And so it sounds like maybe for you it was as well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's understanding the difference between the one and the two and yeah. where you make your move or if there's a move or just go out hot from the beginning. Yeah, I think one K there's no plan. There's just go. It, it's <laughs> start five, high 20, shift, Maybe, work. maybe <laughs> shift, yeah. Maybe shift, work, work, work. You talked about the freshmen, you know, so there's these walk-ons. So the, the way that this system works here is that there's obviously recruits, there's walk-on recruits, and then there's just people who show up at the boathouse. You know, do you remember what that was like the first time you all were in the same room together and that, you know, these these guys are kind of looking around like, what what can I expect? And like, what's that energy like when, when you're about to, you're kind of scoping out some guys and saying, hmm, you know? Yeah, um, so since I was hired very, very quickly and then came right out here, I missed like that very, very first, like everyone's getting to campus, nervous. I missed that. But I saw a little bit of the like last little bit of their, their, um, their test that they had to join the team. And the cool thing about being here is that at one point everyone had to try out for the team again so even if you just won ira medal gold you had to try out for the team again you know mm-hmm. so then we changed it to i believe if you weren't in an ira boat you had to try out for the team so we got guys that are experienced that were on the team already that know how to like operate you're getting um, really good recruits coming in as, as well as those like very very new walk-ons so it's funny because you see all these different personalities and a lot of people are nervous so they're very um, quiet or they're nervous and they're very talkative as well you know which a lot you know a lot, a lot of people don't love that but you get to see their very first taste of pressure and nervousness and that's really cool to see and then you see how they evolve until you know now we're in, we're in may and they deal with that pressure a lot better and they know how to execute a lot better um so yeah, I didn't see like the very first instant of it, but I saw I see it now how it have, um, they've grown throughout the year. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that was really important for when we talked to Maurice Scott was for Maurice, he is like, I am out there, I am visible, I am. People can see me and say, I could see myself doing what that person's doing, and whether it was a, a personality uh, trait that they someone related to or the fact that you're African-American or you know, all those different visibility factors. And how important do you think that is here at the University of Washington? Is this an unprecedented um, kind of a coach to have someone who's African-American? Is this, how does this play into maybe your goals in terms of diversity or inclusion? Or do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think for probably all of us in that quad, we wanna see the sport become more diverse because we know how it feels when it isn't and you feel alone. Um, coming out here, I didn't really even think, and that's that's the thing where we kind of talk about that insular vision. A lot of the times, you know, for better or for worse, you know, I forget like, oh, I'm like the only black one in this room, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like that could be having an impression on someone younger or someone older that likes to see that. Uh, but then every once in a while, maybe I have a bad situation, maybe like a really good situation that people remind me like, oh, this is special, you know. Like, mm-hmm. there's a black rowing coach. Even when I was at LaSalle, I know a guy who's really, really excited about it. And, um, you know, uh, 
I love my alma mater, but it's like no UW. And being here, I mean, it's quite an honor. Um, and then, and then, like sometimes you think, you're like, oh, I hope I'm not just hired because of the, you know, based on this, uh, my skin color. Um, but that's why I'm excited because I feel like I'm a really good coach. And I feel like I have a lot to add. Uh, it's really nice to see that the guys are really, really welcoming. I've never felt uncomfortable in the boathouse. Uh, no, even in the city where there's not a whole lot of black community, it, it's never like uncomfortable or never like hatred. It's just different. You know, I can tell people like, oh, let's, you know, he looks different or, you know, we go out and visit other programs and, you know, it's just, it's just different, which I can't fault anyone for that. For the first time seeing a black coach, you know, uh, it's more prevalent, of course, in Philadelphia, but out here, I'm sure people are looking like, oh, wow, you know, and uh, I think for our recruiting, it makes it a lot more comfortable for anyone who's scared to come. And I think about myself, like I wanted to transfer here and I was like afraid to. And I think my teammates at my, my school, they were like, oh, no, you can't go. They're like the best ever. And I wish I did, you know, I made my way here anyway, but I wish I did because um, Phil's a very welcoming community. And now I think if I saw a black coach there, it would have been like a no-brainer. So, um, yeah, I don't try to make myself super-duper present, uh, I would say, all the time. But uh, I try to let my actions do a lot, of, a lot of speaking. And then I just try to make sure, again, like I'm not being, like I'm not filling my head with any um, self-fulfilling things. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm here for the athletes, you know, even though like people go, oh, like, must be a great coach and I'm like oh like I'm just here to make sure the athletes get a lot better now uh, did you just say you're, you must be a great coach that's why you're here that's no. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no and I and what I was gonna say is like I think that's obvious like you are now a coach at a top tier program and right. they hired you because you know what you're doing you know so yeah. where do you think this might take yeah. you like yeah. where are you thinking like in the future I mean obviously you'll be here as long as you're needed and as long as you're useful and contributing and do you see this as a launching off point or do you see this as how um yeah so that's my that's funny it's my girlfriend asked me that she's like, or she said that she's like oh you know you can use like University of Washington as like a launching pad and I don't I mean I don't like that for um, like to think about it like that but it's like I could really really help a lot of guys do well and prevent injuries here and really enjoy the sport and then if I'm needed somewhere else like I can do that as well uh, but it seems like the the life of a assistant coach especially in a program like this like three to five years you know so that's in the plans you see like a whole class start and graduate and then you know Hopefully you've gotten better, so you can take a bigger role somewhere else. But I do, I do miss the East Coast. Seattle's awesome, but uh, it's a lot more opportunities, especially in the rowing realm um, in the East Coast. And then I just kind of miss being in Philly. It's kind of cool, or anywhere close. Yeah. So uh, I would say three to five years, and hoping I know enough to just add to another program as well. You know, and then I've coached from like middle schoolers from working at that camp that I started at all the way up to very um, old and novice masters. And the thing is, every person challenges your, your coaching style. It was like really easy. You get a really talented rower out here and you're like, hey, you know, let's get the body over, let's get the blades in a little bit quicker. 
and they do it immediately. Mm-hmm. And then you got like a middle schooler who maybe can't even get in that good body position or a master's rower to achieve that. And you're like, oh, I gotta take a step back. I gotta learn why they can't get in that position. Is it mobility? Is it motivation? Is it um, configurations on their boat? Like, how can I get them into that? And then you t- take a step back. If they're not motivated to do that as well, um, how do you motivate them? You know, so it's almost like you need to stimulate. I guess it's like the muscle confusion people do. Like you have to cross train your coaching as well. You know, like it's awesome being out here, but these guys are going to go fast regardless. Mm-hmm. I'm just there to give them a little bit more push. You know, I'm just here as like a tool just to get them moving a little bit faster, refine their strokes a little better. Um, but it's always a challenge when you have to teach and learn a row. And I'm never above that, you know. I, it's almost more of an honor because you're the first coach and probably that gatekeeper from that um, between the athlete and you know the sport. So, like novice, you know, novice coaching is a huge, huge thing to me. Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode. We took a trip to the George Pocock Rowing Center in Seattle to talk with Zoe Vase, the organization's middle school program specialist. She's also a coach for GPRF's Camp Lucy, a free learn to row camp for girls, inclusive of non-binary, trans, and gender non-conforming youth. From UW walk-on to leaving a mark on Seattle rowing, Zoe offers a thoughtful look at slowly falling in love with the sport and the important role coaches play in young rowers lives and while you're there would you leave us a review when you do it helps our podcast get noticed and reach more ears thanks to our patrons and concept two for helping to make this episode possible in two we're back with marcus brown that's one two So I was curious because you've talked about, you know, coaching at all these different levels and that here the, the, the rowers know to work hard, but uh, you have also talked about working with um, newer rowers and coaching them to work hard. Can you talk a little bit about, like, how do you move someone into that mentality of working hard? Yeah, so I think the first thing, and my coach at uh, Penn AC, he said it too, he came in as a really, really um, decorated athlete and coached really, like a lot of really good athletes. He came into a program, I used to work, and I heard you guys mention um, Philadelphia City Rowing as well, one of the podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I worked there as well. Oh, that's where Maurice started. So I was a coach there for a little bit and we had like a middle school program and uh, my coach Sean, he came in and I think he, or I think I and another lady that knew him was expecting this very profound thing and he said to me he's like you gotta make sure you keep it fun for them you know mm-hmm. so like that first thing and i told you how much i enjoyed the first few strokes that i felt um you got to keep it fun for them you got to find out what motivates them you know what their fears are what their um dreams are and their goals are and then you have to like cater towards it and then you got to give them like a little push you know and a lot of people can get in their own heads and the, the brain is there sometimes to keep us safe and then sometimes it just restricts us from doing very amazing things. So you gotta just give them a little push, give them a little push. And I'm all about like very positive, motivating as well. Like sometimes, you know, like on the ergo, I'll talk trash to them, 
you know, just to get the guys fired up. But that's after forming that trust with them that like, oh, he's here to push me. And even if I hate him right now, it's <laughs> there to get me fired up. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I would say just keeping it fun for them, making it an enjoyable thing, and then showing them that like, hey, like you are making progress every day. To see photos of Marcus Brown and to get links to the people, clubs, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website, www.steadystatenetwork.com. The support of our amazing patrons has enabled us to produce 50 episodes of Steady State Podcast and change the media narrative about rowing. Join our Patreon community for as little as $5 per month, and you'll be the first to know about new podcast episodes, get Steady State freebies, and store discounts. Find out more at steadystatenetwork.com slash Patreon. Hey, Tara, I think some listeners might not know that Steady State is more than a podcast. Totally. We should definitely tell them. We've got virtual events happening every week that brings together the rowing community from across the country and actually around the world. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I really look forward to Friday mornings when we get together for coffee chat on Instagram Live because we get to talk about rowing and racing and technique. But we also delve into things like DEI and motivation slumps. And it's always neat when rowers from around the world tune in. And so we hope you'll join us on Fridays, 8 o'clock West, 11 o'clock East on Instagram Live. Grab your favorite mug and add your voice to our conversation. And we also know that everyone sometimes needs buddies to help get them through long pieces on the erg. I know I do. So we lead Steady State Sundays the fourth Sunday, basically, <laughs> of each month at 6.45 a.m. West, 9.45 a.m. East. And when you register for the 60-minute Steady State ERG workout, we give cues and insights to keep you motivated along the way so you can work at your own pace and then stick around after to chat. Yeah, I really like that at your own pace. I row at about a 16. <laughs> so um, if you want to find out more about any of our events and claim your spot in our lineup, go ahead and visit steadystatenetwork.com slash events. Steady State Podcast is brought to you by me, Tara Morgan. And me, Rachel Friedman. Between us, we have 33 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experience and running successful rowing-related enterprises. Tara is the founder of Seize the Oar Foundation, where they champion inclusion in the sport of rowing through team training, outreach, and thought leadership. And Rachel is the founder of RowSource, the original resource for master's rowers. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Seize the Oar and RowSource. Thanks so much for listening. In two, way enough. That's one, two. Bueno.